Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, on our last podcast, Grant Turzen and I almost finished Chapter 48, but we did not. Now, it is such an interesting chapter. I feel like today, Grant and I are going to finish just that small bit of Chapter 48, and then we're going to slip over to Chapters 52 and 53. Now, these are very short chapters, and if we get through all of that in this this podcast, then we might have to go back and just talk a little bit about 50 and 51. Now, I didn't ask you to read 50 and 51, but um, uh, on, uh, let's say, when at the beginning of the series, but I do think they're really important for you to, to read. All right, so welcome back, Grant. Thank you very much. All right, so let's go back to our, our former notes and talk about what happens at the end of Chapter 48 that is just amazing. Well, they finally get a, a clean shot at a whale, it seems like, and Queequeg springs up. He has his harpoon in hand, and he whips it toward the whale but it just grazes the whale. And then all of a sudden, there's the harpoon, there's the boat, there's all the crewmen, and it's like they're all one mass, and it's a huge mess, and obviously all the crewmen end up overboard, yeah. and, and they, they try to swim and collect their oars and whatever else goes on the boat, and then get back in the boat. And so at this point, they're all in the boat, but they're up to their knees in water, and they just have to wait around for the ship to pick them up. Right. And the, the the thing is, remember now, this is Starbucks boat. Yes. And so it's this is like, this is the this is like the noble hero in the book. <laughs> so, so essentially, they're in big trouble. Mm. And what what happens next? I know what happens next is is well, <laughs> they get stuck in a mist. Yes, it's really foggy. So this makes it even more dangerous. <laughs> which that's a pretty humorous thing that comes up in the next chapter. Uh, if we could get to that, hopefully. But uh, they're in this mist, so they can't see very well. There's no way that the other boats that are out there hunting whales can help them because they can't even see each other. Uh, he he says, uh, as well roar to the live coals down the chimney of a flaming furnace as hail those boats in that storm. There's no way that anyone could hear them or help them. So they're just sitting waiting. And then all of a sudden... The ship crashes through the fog and slams over their boat. They just all had to dive out of the boat at the last second right. to avoid getting run over by the ship. Right. And the other thing that happened, too, there's a squall came. Mm. You know, there's this there's this storm. So there's a storm. There's the mist. They're stuck out there. And they're, they're I think they're waiting all night, aren't they? I think they're waiting a long time. Maybe mm -hmm. not. But, but anyway, I think... It's I'm like almost dawn whenever I think they... Yeah get picked up yeah so it depends on when they left i think the pequot was looking for them and couldn't find them because of the mist mm. and i think because of the squall and so so uh yeah they they uh the, the pequot this is page 240 it wrecks right into them they were wet drenched 
Through and shivering cold, despairing of a ship or boat, we lifted up our eyes as the dawn came on. The mist still spread over the sea. The emptied lantern lay crushed in the bottom of the boat. Suddenly, Queequeg started to his feet, hollowing his hand to his ear. <laughs> we heard a faint creaking of ropes and yards and hitherto muffled by the storm. The sound came nearer and nearer. The thick mists were dimly parted by a huge, vague form. Affrighted, we sprang into the sea as the ship at last loomed into view, bearing right down upon us from the distance of not much more than its length. <laughs> so, so they had to jump out of the, the whale ship again because they were going to get slam dunked by the Pequod. And then the ship submerges the boat, and then the boat stays underneath the ship until the ship goes all the way over, and then the boat pops out at the back of the ship, yeah. and they go swim back to it again. Oh, that's crazy, yeah. So, uh, yeah, the end, of the, the end of the paragraph then says, Ere the squall came close to, the other boats had cut loose from their fish and returned to the ship in good time. The ship had given us up, but was still cruising, if haply it might light upon some token of our perishing, an oar or a lance pole. Now, that paragraph, I want to ask you, so was Ishmael on this boat, flask boat? Um, I thought he was on Starbucks boat. I don't know. I don't know because it sounds like he's he's summarizing it as if he was on it. So this is this is Flask's boat that gets taken out then? No, I think it's Starbucks boat. Oh. Yeah, did I say Flask? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. I think you're right though. It is he is on the boat. Yeah. That that got yeah. submerged. Yeah. If that was Starbucks, I yeah. think it was. I think so. All right. So anybody out there if you think we're wrong, write in. Send us a comment. I've certainly been wrong many times. <laughs> that's that's the way to get you people to comment. All right. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So hooray for us. We finished chapter 48. <laughs> All right. So uh, in, in my notes, I wanted to go to 52 first. And uh, that's what I have notes for. So if uh, these are very, very, very short chapters. So if uh, we get through these really quickly... Then we'll come back to 1551. How about that? All right. So uh, uh, let's look at chapter 52. It is called the Albatross. And uh, essentially what's, what's going on here is um, it, it's kind of got a double purpose to it. He's setting us up for the next chapter as well. And uh, I, I love the title of this program, The Goni and the Gam. <laughs> you know, so, so anyway, uh, essentially, what it, again? This is Ishmael. So Ishmael is still talking to us. It's not a funny chapter like the one we had a couple of weeks ago, but it says uh, I have it written down here. Ishmael tells the story of the Pequod meeting the whale ship, the Goni, or the Albatross. Now I've heard some people say Goni, but I think you need two O's if it was Goni. So it's the Goni, but the word Goni actually means Albatross. So that's they called it the Goni bird. Off the coast, now, there, one of the things that we've, we've skipped a few chapters, so they were traveling other places as well. So now we're further down the line chasing the sperm whales and hunt of the white whale. So, so they've been out there. They're, they're still traveling. But now they're in the, uh, the islands. They're called Crozettes, and they're in the Indian Ocean. So you can see how far they've traveled in a couple chapters. And essentially what Ishmael tells us, that this was really good ground uh, for cruising right, R-I-G-H-T, whales. 
And so that, that's a different whale, different type of whale. We talked about that way back in the beginning. So um, essentially, this is really a creepy kind of chapter. <laughs> if, you, if to me, if you look at it, and uh, uh, so, so essentially, um, Ishmael is is telling the story. He was he had his position that day. He was on the masthead. He was up above. So there's three of them up there. So the ship is it's it's weird. It's, it's the albatross. Now, if if you know anything about albatrosses, they they have a, a bad symbol anyway in a lot of literature. You know the albatross. So they, they they're coming uh, really close to this boat. So there's the three mastheads on the Pequod, and there's the three mastheads on the uh, the albatross. And what they what they see is really sad. And uh, there's something there's something up with this boat, and uh, uh, essentially what what he tells us this boat really wasn't in the best of shape. He says as as if the waves had been fullers, this craft was bleached like the skeleton of a stranded walrus. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I imagine uh, I, I I was and, and to me is the. It's got to be just the skeleton of the walrus, right? If it's bleached, so so can you that gives you a visual of what this the ship looked like? It says all down her sides, the spectral appearance was traced with long channels of reddened rust, <laughs> while all her spars and her rigging were like the thick branches of trees furred over with hoarfrost. Her lower only her lower sails were set. And he, he goes on to say then, a wild sight it was to see her long-bearded lookouts at those three mastheads. So so imagine there's the ships are, are coming in contact with each other. So there's the Pequod mastheads who probably don't look so bad. But the guys on the other ship, they have long beards and their clothes look like like uh, African clothes or, you know, native clothes. They're They're all full of holes. They're all patched up. These guys look like they're in pretty sad shape. <laughs> you know? And the ship is like, it doesn't look very good either. And so so what what uh, I think what, what Ishmael and Melville is building us up to is Ahab could care less about the ship. He only has one thing he wants to know from the ship. And what is that? <laughs> if they've seen Moby Dick, if I think. That's right. <laughs> he says, hey, ship ahoy! He says... Have you seen the white whale? <laughs> and uh, he says, uh, the, the, uh, the, the thing is, the captain on the ship is about ready to answer him because there's some distance, and he's, he's got his little trumpet out. He's going to answer him, but he drops his trumpet in the water. <laughs> <laughs> so so this, these people are not in good shape, you know. And uh, uh, so anyway, it, it fell from the, his hand into the sea, and... Uh, he was he was trying to communicate with Ahab, but he doesn't have it anymore, and so he can't he can't make a sound. And and notice it goes on to say, meantime his ship was still increasing the distance between, while in various silent ways the seamen of the Pequod were evincing their observances of this ominous incident at the first mere mention of the white whale's name to another ship. Ahab for a moment paused. It almost seemed as though he would have lowered a boat to board the stranger. And not the threatening wind forbade. 
And so, so there, there's something going on there that that Ahab Ahab um, normally um, maybe maybe would go and get on and go over to talk to them because he didn't hear what he had to say. But but uh, to me, when I read this, somehow he suspects that there's they haven't seen them, they haven't seen the whale, and so he doesn't want to bother with it. And uh, um, you know, but but Ahab makes this he he, he makes the comment. Well, uh, I would have lowered the boat, but it's it's too windy. You know, and so 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 the the point is, he really doesn't want to. He's not going to get the answer he wants, so he could care less about. But that is not that's not good social etiquette for wedding for whaling ships, right? To and, do that, and we're about to see more about that in <laughs> chapter fifty three. So Ahab has this singular obsessive focus, and he doesn't want to spare a minute to exchange pleasantries with a passing ship. And these poor guys on that other ship have been out there for four years. And, and that would probably be a great morale boost for them to see some new people and, you know, to tell some stories and to Socialize. have a good yeah. have a good time for a few minutes. Yeah. But Ahab's not interested in that at all. Yeah. No. And, and the, the, the thing is, uh, to me, it's amazing how Melville weaves all this together. So so it just shows that Ahab, again, he's driven. He's, he's got one thing in his mind. And in some ways, in terms of leadership, that's not a bad thing. But you can't, you, you've got to still have social etiquette. <laughs> you know, and if you're a great leader, you better know how to work with people. Well, even the way he treated his own crew earlier in chapter 48, and he didn't tell them about Fadala and those other four, uh, that, that crack sailing crew or the, the whaling crew right. with them on the ship. They'd been hiding that whole time. And as soon as they emerged to go on the hunt, Ahab didn't even acknowledge the fact that they'd been in hiding that whole time. Yeah. And etiquette would state that you should probably address the elephant in the room, but he didn't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's terrible. But <clears throat> the other thing I think that, that, um, Melville also sets up for us, this is on the middle of that page. Um, I, I think this is really kind of interesting. We don't need Elijah, by the way. This is Ahab is figuring this out himself. He says, at that moment, the two wakes were fairly crossed, and instantly then, in accordance with their singular ways, shoals of small, harmless fish that for some days before had been placidly swimming by our side darted away with what seemed shuddering fins and ranged themselves fore and aft with the stranger's flanks. Though in the course of his communal, continual voyagings, Ahab must have often before have noticed a similar sight Yet to any monomaniac man, the various trifles capriciously carrying meanings, and and so so this is a bad omen, as far as Ahab is concerned, because they're not following his ship; they're going after the wretched ship. <laughs> yeah, the ghostly white, rusty red <laughs> ship. The the, yeah. the fish ditched his ship to follow that one. Yeah, and so look what look what Ahab says: "Swim, swim away from me, do ye?" murmured Ahab, gazing over into the water there seemed but little in the words but the tone conveyed more of deep helpless sadness than the insane old man had ever before evinced so he's depressed that just, they left just him. by seeing the fish yeah that's all it took yeah he's just such a miserable person yeah yeah 
so so anyway, then he goes on to say, but turning to the steersman who had thus far had been holding the ship in, in the wind to diminish her headway, he cried out in his old lion voice, up helm, keep her off round the world. And so, so uh, uh, this is a quote, you know, of, of, um, of Ahab. He's saying, all of a sudden, he's in deep sadness, and then he has the, the energy or the power just to turn that off and go right into the other one. Okay, we're going. Round the world. We're done. And so, so uh, uh, Ishmael doesn't like this. <laughs> Ishmael has got, he's, he's got to have his little, little say. And so uh, uh, round the world, there is much in that sound to inspire proud feelings. But where to does all that circumnavigation conduct only through numberless perils to the very point whence we started where those that we left behind secure were all the time before us. And, uh, you know, so, so he's saying, look, why do we have to, he, he's upset he's on the voyage now. He says, were this world an endless plain, and by sailing eastward we could forever reach new distances and discover sights more sweet and strange than any cyclades or islands of King Solomon, then there were promise in the voyage. But in the pursuit of those far mysteries we dream of or in tormented chase of that demon phantom that sometime or other swims before all human hearts while chasing such over this ground globe they either lead us on in barren mazes or midway leave us whelmed and so he's saying why why can't we go on a discovery voyage let's let's go discover things why are we facing why, why are we still chasing this demon phantom you know <laughs> again uh, he sees the demons in a lot of things old oldish male yeah that's a really interesting paragraph where he's just he's just saying no matter what we do on this voyage the purpose for it it just can't be satisfying you know there's a dark vengeance on this on this voyage and we're just in constant danger and so there's nothing peaceful or fulfilling about it you can't just reach contentment on this on this voyage because they're not discovering things like you said right right they're not they're not discovering solomon's islands they're not doing this they're not doing that seems like his morale is low maybe he's <laughs> regretting being a whaler at this point yes yes all right now let's go to 53 and this is chapter 53 explains what we just saw in in uh 52 and so so that's why you know i i had the students read it together and so uh, chapter 53 is called The Gam. And it's, it's a somewhat humorous chapter, I think. And so uh, uh, wh- what we have here is essentially Ishmael is musing over why Ahab didn't have a gam with, with the albatross. And he pegs it right up, right, up, right at the beginning. He says, uh, the ostensible reason why Ahab did not go on board of the whaler we had spoken we had spoken was this the wind and the sea betoken storms but even had this not been the case he would not after all perhaps have boarded her judging by his subsequent conduct on similar occasions <laughs> if so that had been by the process of healing he had obtained a negative answer to the question he put and so so he's saying the wind wasn't a problem <laughs> 
<laughs> he just didn't get the answer he wanted. Ahab seems to have done this other times where yeah. he didn't get he didn't get the answer. He didn't get any information about Moby Dick, so he didn't want to socialize. Yeah. So what does that do to his crew? Well, that's that's probably why he always comes up with an excuse. He doesn't say, well, let's just keep focusing and keep moving forward. He says, well, I don't want to put the boat down because it's too dangerous. I don't want to cross over to the other ship for a gam because <laughs> because of the wind. But but the crew understands they see through those excuses and it, it is pretty demoralizing to them, probably. Yeah. You know, it's like uh, it's like your parents take you on a family picnic, but they won't let you play with your cousins. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it is a, it is really interesting. This is it's kind of a long, long chapter. There's a lot there's a lot in there, but um, you can see Melville um, it, just in the middle of that first page. He says, "If two strangers crossing the Pine Barrens in New York State, or the equally desolate Salisbury Plain in England." If casually encountering each other in such inhospitable wilds, these two, for the life of them, could not well avoid a mutual salutation and stopping for a moment to interchange the news. <laughs> so, so it's like human or, or a reasonable human activity. If you're out, I mean, my wife is kind of a quiet person. I'm out talking to everybody. You know, <laughs> yeah. I say hi to everybody. I, you you know that everybody knows that, but I I like talking to people. You know, I think it's interesting. You know, well, so, imagine like another example would be if you were stumbling around alone in the desert, and somehow you saw another person <laughs> like off in the distance when you thought you were about to die of thirst, and now you see another person. That person might have water. Like you're both suffering in a similar situation out here in the wilderness so of course you'd want to say something if you're not around people you want to talk to people even more the next time that you see people right but right. not ahab not Ahab. that's the problem <laughs> no no and anyway um let's let's just go to page two i'll just read this definition so that uh, so everybody out there can understand we keep talking about the gam and haven't told them what haven't it told is it is gam okay it's a noun <laughs> And what it means is a social meeting of two or more whale ships, generally on a cruising ground, when after exchanging bales, they exchange visits by boat crews, the two captains remaining for the time on board of one ship and two of the chief mates on the other. So, so essentially, as, uh, as you've been saying, Grant, they, uh, it, it's when you're out whaling for three years at a time and you don't see people that often, it's really nice for the two well ships to kind of stop. The two captains switch, and the well, no, the, yeah, the two, the two, the, two captains. The two captains are on one, uh, one ship, ship. The two chief mates are on the other. On the other, and ship. probably some of the crew is is swapping ships as well, going back and forth. Right, and uh, you know, it's 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 a time to to really, um, you know, meet other people. You know, I could see that if you remember the musical. <laughs> that one chapter that was a musical. Oh. I can see two ships getting together and have a. I don't know why Melville didn't write another musical. <laughs> yeah, so, so, but but it's interesting that also that that generally they he noticed that the when he go back to the albatross, Ahab noticed it was a Nantucketer, and generally the Nantucket ships would know each other, and they carry mail to each other, and then if one's going back home, they carry mail back home. 
And so they didn't give them the opportunity for that because he could care less, you know. And so, so uh, it, it is it is kind of interesting. Now, this chapter, uh, I, I think there's some really funny scenes in it, or funny funny parts. Oh yes. Um, the the one that I think is funny is that there are, there are certain um, certain ships that do not have that they don't meet. Uh, one is pirate ships. <laughs> <laughs> they don't meet each other because they know how villainous each other are. <laughs> and also, slave ships don't meet. <laughs> they have they have lots of big business to do. So they have they're lots not going to stop, to, yeah. right? So, so the, the the bottom line is um, that, that whaling ships have the most reason to be sociable. I think that's that's really you know a great way of showing it. So, uh, so then I think I think in page two sixty one, it's really funny that um, they say that even you know even ships of different nations will meet with each other, hoping that they have similar language. But it says the Americans and the English. <laughs> This is great. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's hilarious. Uh, it says, "Nor would the difference of country make any make any very essential difference. That is, so long as both parties speak one language, as is the case with Americans' English. Though to be sure, from the small number of English whalers, such meetings do not very often occur. And when they do occur, there is not, there is too apt to be a sort of shyness between them." For your Englishman is rather reserved, and your Yankee, he does not fancy that sort of thing in anybody but himself. <laughs> so, so in other words, the the, the uh, English and Americans they kind of are, they have a snob problem. <laughs> the, the English can be very snobbery with it with the Yankees. And, and and Melville or Ishmael is is basically saying that the English have no right to try to pretend to be superior because the american whalers kill more whales in one day than the english do in 10 years yeah so why are the english acting like they're superior yeah because because sometimes they act that way but then but then at the end of it they all realize that they all have foibles so yes. the english have their their superiority conf complex and then the americans are probably pretty strange too so they don't get offended at the english acting that yeah. way toward them yeah the uh the other thing i think is funny when the gams are big, and this is this is on page two sixty three. Um, this is this is what happens to the captains. Is they if they go to another ship, there's no seat there for them, <laughs> <laughs> and he has to stand. And and it's it, it, it talks there about effeminacy, effeminacy, and so essentially, I think what what uh, Ishmael is trying to say there is that. Uh, you know, you got the English, you got the Americans, um, maybe the English are sissies, you know, but but the uh, the real well ships they're not sissies, and especially <laughs> the captains. And it says there, uh, I don't know if we have. To, I'll look at the. It's page two sixty three. It says often you will notice that being conscious of the eyes of the whole visible world resting on him from the sides of the two ships. The standing captain is all alive to the importance of sustaining his dignity by maintaining his legs. So there's no place for him to stand, I mean, to sit. So he's got to make sure that he doesn't fall or, you know, because the, the boats could still, you know, be bouncing. And he says, uh, nor, is this any, nor is this any very easy matter, for in his rear 
is the immense projecting steering oar hitting him now and then in the small of his back, the after oar reciprocating by wrapping his knees in front. He thus completely wedged before and behind and can only expend himself sideways by settling down on his stretched legs, but a sudden find out the pitch of the boat will often go far to topple him. Because of length of foundation is nothing without corresponding breadth. Merely make a spread angle of two poles and you cannot stand them up. <laughs> <laughs> so so he could get knocked down. And at the bottom of that paragraph it says, then again, it would never do in plain sight of the world's riveted eyes. It would never do, I say, for the straddling captain to be seen steadying himself the slightest particle by catching hold of anything with his hands. Indeed, as a token of his entire buoyant self-command. In other words, if he's if he's beginning to fall, he's got to right himself. He can't touch anything. Yes. Or it'll make him look terrible. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's part it's part of being the manly leader of of the <coughs> ship. So whenever you're transferring on a boat to the other ship for a gam, you cannot reach out and grab anything. You can't grab onto someone's hair, like it says there, to, to keep the yourself end. steady, yeah. <laughs> or else everyone's going to be laughing at you. It kind of reminds me like in baseball, if you get hit in the ribs or in the leg or in the elbow with a hundred mile an hour fastball, you're not allowed to rub it. It hurts and it feels like something exploded on your body, but you're not allowed to rub it because that's not manly. And then you know that the, then you let the pitcher know that he hurt you. Like that's what baseball players are taught. So, I mean, that's just another thing where it's, it's like a ceremonial gesture. Yeah, Do I not didn't. rub the wound I no did, matter what you do <laughs> i did not know that i did not know that that's what it reminded me of yes so so the, the last sentence there says nevertheless there have occurred instances well authenticated ones too in other words this is written down in history where the captain has been known for an uncommonly critical moment or two in a sudden squall say to seize hold of the nearest or oarsman's hair and hold on on there like grim death <laughs> so that's the end of the chapter that's the end of the chapter all right so that's all the time we have for today's program on our next program grant and i will begin discussing chapters 71 and 81 and if there's time we're gonna we might add in 15 51 now you can buy moby dick at amazon.com you may be able to find a good used copy at abebooks.com you may be also able to find a copy in your local bookstore. Now, of course, you can also check your local library. Now, we're coming to the end of the series, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't buy the book because it is a great book. Now, please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for just the best literature. So until next time, keep reading. been listening to just the best literature on trumpet radio 101.3 kpcg streaming online at kpcg.fm and the trumpet.com